welcome back to another episode of Billboard Blockbuster. Or is it Blockbuster Billboard, Rich? I feel like we've gone back and forth. I don't know. I I feel like I messed it up last time. So (laughs) whatever we decide this time is what we're going to go with. Okay. I feel like Blockbuster Billboard has a good flow. Yeah. So it officially will be (laughs) Blockbuster Billboard. Um, And this week... We are doing Weird Science, a 1985 John Hughes film. I'm I'm really excited for this. Um, and this one was your suggestion, Rich. What I have to ask, like, what made you think of this one? Um, because this did not immediately come to my mind when I was thinking about like sound, like you know, really famous soundtracks and movies and that. And I thought this was a really interesting choice. Well, I think part of it was probably just. I, for some reason, this soundtrack always, or at least the music associated with this film always sort of stood out to me from back in that era. Um, Mm. It was one of those things that as I rewatched it this week, I think I got a little bit, a little bit better understanding or a little bit more better appreciation, I think for the way that the, the music interacts with the, the, what you're seeing on screen. And then I think as we delve into this a little bit, it's going to be very, uh, very interesting to kind of talk about that a little bit because, you know, as you and I were kind of warming up. Oh, and and by the way, uh, there's nothing wrong with Felicia's mic this week. Um, We're having to do this a little bit virtual and it's not ideal, but you know, this is, we had a little COVID outbreak in, in the house, in the studio. So um, you just have to bear with us. The content's still going to be great. Just maybe not sounding it like we normally do. Yes, I, I'm glad you brought that up. We we are having to, we kind of had to um, MacGyver our our tactic for getting to record because first you you had COVID and then we had to you know kind of delay and delay and then I had COVID and finally you know we were getting ready to get back together and do this and then unfortunately it reared its ugly head again and so instead of delaying any further we just decided to find a new way so hopefully <laughs> hopefully this this goes okay it's sounding pretty good on my end yeah yeah and it sounds it sounds fine over here too and i think you know it's I, we didn't want to disappoint our fan and i and i definitely <laughs> Yes. Want to make sure that they have the opportunity <laughs> to have another week of, of us talking about movies and soundtracks. A hundred percent. And honestly, this is just so much fun. Um, yeah, I was really glad that we weren't delaying any longer because it was such a joy the first time. And every time that we had to kind of put it off, it was just so disappointing to have to, you know, to have to wait longer to dive back into this. So it's, it's really good to be back doing this with you, sir. Um, and since I also did not do our proper introductions this time, um, I am uh, Felicia sky and rich. Why don't you introduce yourself to the person out there listening? I'm Rick Knight. And if this is your first time, if we've grown our fan base, we thank you. <laughs> Go back and listen to the Saturday Night Fever one because that's, I think, so far in this journey, that's where we really hit our peak was in that one <laughs> one out of one episodes. I think was, right. As, as we begin recording our second one, we can we have a good sense of where we peaked. Yes. 
So hopefully we can take this one to the next level. I think that's what we're going for here. Well, you, you've really picked a next level film and we'll get into that. But yes, um, just to tie it back in. So yes, what made you, like you were saying that you really felt like the soundtrack to this film in particular stood out to you from that time period. And I find that really fascinating. And I, I want to pick your brain about that just because I feel like in the eighties you had so many movies that had these very like iconic soundtracks and put certain songs and artists on the map. And it's been really interesting to highlight the music of weird science, because that is not something I normally thought about first when I would, would think back on this film. Well, I think one of the things that's probably the most noticeable for me, and I wrote down this in, in my notes as I was preparing for the, the show to this week was that there is actually more songs in the movie, but not on the soundtrack than there are songs on the soundtrack that were in the movie that I think had a bigger impact on me. And, okay. and so we'll, 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 we'll get into that a little bit, but one of, um, you know, as we kind of go through the film, um, I'll be able to, that's another one that's on, it's in the movie, but not on the soundtrack, not in the official released soundtrack. It's on the, if you go online and look and see some of the other uh, sites like IMDb or something, it'll, it'll list all the songs that are on there, but that's not what was released, you know, to the public um, as a, you know, an album back then. So like you said, when we were kind of talking before we got on this, it's like, well, there's so many different versions of this. I actually had to go and find like the, the um, vinyl copy and look at that, like, uh, and get a good idea of, what, what songs were we actually talking about that were on the soundtrack? And some of them were really missing, and I thought that they played an important part in the film. So I'm excited to go into that and yes. talk some more. Absolutely. Well, as we, as we did in our previous episode, uh, we will kick this off with just a couple of statistics, um, some fun factoids and such ab about the movie and the soundtrack. Um, and you mentioned that you had, you had a couple there. Yes. Um, well, I mean, as much as it was released in August 1985, and it was uh, you know, a John Hughes film, it used Anthony Michael Hall, was one of the stars of it, and he had been in plenty of John Hughes films uh, in, the, in the 1980s. He was uh, obviously in The Breakfast Club. He was in Vacation. He was in... Yes. Uh, there was a, there was quite a few others in there, but he he turned candles. Yes, hunt. he yes. was like one of those it, one of the it teams from the eighties. And he turned down doing European Vacation to do Weird Science. They were both released at the same time or around the same time, and uh, European Vacation being released in July and the end of July, and then Weird Science being released in the beginning of August. And what a, what a fun time that summer must have been. Uh, I don't remember it all that much, although I did see European Vacation in the theaters. But just to have those, I mean, having those films out at that time. And the, and the interesting, here's another thing that nobody nobody cares about but me, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, Jason Lively, who was the person who replaced Anthony Michael Hall in the European Vacation series, uh, that name, Lively, probably know that. His, uh, his sister, Robin Lively, was in uh, Teen Witch which was a, yes. <laughs> if you remember, my heart, 
my heart is so glad you just brought up that movie. Oh, we will have to save that one maybe for October, but oh, yes. And Karate Robin Kid 3. Ridley. Yes. Oh. And his half-sister awesome. and their half-sister is Blake Lively, who's Ryan Reynolds' wife. So right. it's uh, just a kind of an interesting thing. It has nothing to do with weird science, but it's uh, just sort of an interesting factoid. But those are the stats That's- I have. That's so fun. Yes. So, so to piggyback on, um, what you said. So yes, Anthony Michael Hall was already, um, kind of a big up and comer because of John Hughes. And it was actually on the set of 16 candles, I believe. Um, if anyone, you know, if I got that wrong, please throw, throw a comment in there. Let me know. But I do believe that it was on the set of 16 candles that John Hughes had come to, come to him and said, Hey, I've got the next movie. I want you to be in it. And he would leave shooting and he wrote this movie in two days. And so he'd go home and he was busting out like 30 plus pages of script. And Anthony Michael Hall, you know, like read, you know, like the, like the first pages that John had passed along and was like, this is so different from anything that you've, written like it it still has the heart but there's such a wacky bizarre fun quality to this one and he was just totally on board so it doesn't surprise me that he turned down a a different film to to go on that ride and i was also looking at some sound some of the soundtrack statistics and there's so many good ones on here i'm really glad you suggested this this pairing of, of movie to soundtrack, because again, I'd never paid as much attention to the music watching it in the past. And it's so good. There, like, there were so many songs that I was like, I'm immediately adding this to my playlist because I've never heard it before. Or, you know, even in the movie, it's like some snippets are so short that you like, I just did not realize how many gems were in this. Um, and as far as the, the title track goes, which is, we'll get into it. It's so good, but it appeared on the, as the final track on the dead man's party album for Oingo Boingo. Um, and Danny Elfman actually was the one who wrote it. And what he was quoted as saying was that as like, as soon as, John Hughes approached him and told him his idea for this movie and that he wanted him to like to write a song. He had the whole thing in his head and he basically wrote it on the car ride home from this meeting and, you know, had it down, got it to John and like the rest is history. It's when, when I played the weird science soundtrack and of course the first thing that comes on is weird science. Um, I had my headphones on and I was just like, like, I think I was like legitimately like dancing in place. I forgot <laughs> how good of a song it is. It is so, it's so much fun. It, yeah. So those are, those are just a couple of the fun factoids that I had. Well, and of course, Danny Elfman later would be, would be quoted. And I, I'm, and I know this from watching a panel with Anthony Michael Hall, Kelly LeBrock and Wyatt, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember the actor's name. Um, <laughs> Wyatt. <laughs> I just remember Love his, it. his Wyatt. I can look it up. Um, Ellen Mitchell Smith. So ah, okay. 
he uh, they were talking about that Danny Elfman thought it, said that it was one of his least favorite songs that he had ever written, and, and I know. And, and, you know, it's funny, too, because he's he's written so many kind of iconics. I mean, he wrote the theme to The Simpsons, right? So he's right. he's been in Nightmare Before uh, Christmas and just so many of those types of films. But this is the one that he identifies as one of his least favorite. Um, but it's probably one of his better known um, by, you know, Oingo Boingo. I mean, Dead Man's Party's up there, too, but... But weird science. I mean, you hear that this that beginning. It's alive, and all of a sudden, you just you know what it is, and it really sets 100%. the tone for the film. Even though it doesn't come on like right away in the film, you know, they they, they pants them first, and then then we get we get it. But uh, it's it really just sets the entire tone. And then and then it's you know they play that at the beginning, and then they play it a little bit later on when everything is going kind of mad. But I think it's really great that you brought up the point about about the the songs because you go and you listen through the soundtrack most of those songs you don't you don't hear prominently you hear them in the background you hear them yes you hear them just kind of as as mood music but they're so perfect because they're so 80s like there's the drum machines and the synthesizers and you know just sort of those descending melodies and things like that from the from the 80s that were so popular then that you 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 just associate it with that time frame, even though you're you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't like. I had to go through. I was going through and listening to the song, and then going back to the film and trying to find where that song was in the film. And a lot of times, right. it's so buried in there. But if you take it out, and this kind of answers our question later. But if you take that that out, then it's well. Now you don't. It's it's not the same. Uh, so it's it's a very eighties. Like it's a very. Uh, time capsulation uh, for for the uh for the movie and and when we talk a little bit about the songs that aren't on the soundtrack that are in the film uh that's kind of a big thing too well and i'm so glad that you mentioned this idea of it, it was so 80s and it just it captured like the the feeling of this movie that was kind of the biggest thought i had when that initial theme you know, came on my headphones and I was getting into the groove of it. I was like, this song so well encapsulates everything that's great about this movie. Um, it's it, like, it's got the, like such a wacky element. It, it's got an incredible beat. It's got really fun lyrics. And I'm like, you know what? I'm all in. And that's how I feel when I watch this movie is like, I, I'm, so excited to go on this ride and just to be in this. And as I listened through the soundtrack and, and some of the lyrics and different choices that they made, it was like, yeah, these songs really do add that vibe and that feeling that this movie is going for. And it just takes you there. Um, as someone who was not around in the eighties, I feel like I get to still enjoy kind of what that, that vibe would have been. It's so it, the songs are really well selected, really, really well selected. And and I do want to share, uh, and then we'll we'll go to this, and then we'll come, you know, kind of make it a break, and then we'll come back. I do want to share some of that panel of uh, that Kelly LeBrock and and you know, Anthony Michael Hall and Wyatt. I'm just gonna call him Wyatt or Gary Wyatt. <laughs> I love it. 100. I'm just gonna call him Wyatt. He is Wyatt. Yes. I, I'm gonna. We're gonna share that. So here is them listening, or here's you listening 
to them talk about Danny Elfman and the, uh, the song Weird Science from Weird Science. And we'll join you on the other side. Uh, Danny Elfman has said that Weird Science was the worst song that he has ever done. It is the low point of his career. What was the hardest or worst part of this movie for you? Hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> Why do artists do interviews sometimes? Anyway, that's weird that he said that. I thought he was always great. Hmm. I don't know. What was the question again? I forgot. I was thinking about Danny Elfman being bitter. <laughs> The, the worst or hardest part of this film? <clears throat> there was nothing hard about it. I mean, we, like we've said, we just had such a great time. Um, and we shot on location, and we were in John's backyard, and it was just really cool. Everybody comes to the set, I think, with a different vibe when you're doing a comedy. It's a lighter quality of set, you know, and so we all just benefited from that. And he set the tone, and we all just had a good time. We were all kids just making a film. You know, there was nothing really hard about it for me, personally. But thank you. Thank you. And back to Danny Elfman. He should really lighten up a little bit. <laughs> he really should. I know. So that was him kind of talking about uh, at the was it Awesome Con 2019. Yes. Uh, talking about the, the film and Danny Elfman's theme. And it's just, I, I guess we just should just dive into it because um, I kind of wrote down a little bit of the a little bit of like how the movie went. So, you know, we have that bathroom scene that starts actually the gym scene of them starting off and everything. And there's no, yeah. no music associated with that, but that's when you, that's when Iron Man shows up and Oh my goodness. A yes. very young Robert Downey Jr. The one and only. <laughs> and, and him and, and the other guy pants them to start off. And we, then we go right into weird science and it's a, I mean, it's absolutely perfect. It's, it's, the way they start that off and the way that weird science kind of just, I think it shows like, this is okay. This is the trigger because, you know, they start off with, they're talking about, it's like, yeah, we'd really like to shower with them because they're obsessed with, uh, you know, Deb and Hilly. And <laughs> Deb and Hilly. I love it. <laughs> the greatest names ever for, so for kids. And, uh, and, and, and their hair too, by the way, especially um, Deb, who's the, who's the blonde. She's got that kind of side ponytail that flips up uh, in yes. the movie. But, you know, and their friend's got kind of the, the dark, short, like curly bob that's like a little bit frizzed out. Yeah. Yes. And then talking about he's like, this is where we're going to shower with them. And then we're going to go out on the town, <laughs> little drinks, a little dancing, you know, and, and I'm just like, <laughs> like, you guys are so delusional. And then. And, then, and you know, and then they get pantsed and then it goes right. It's, it's almost like, OK, here's the that's the trigger. Because then you go from Weird Science, the movie, into them talking about it's like, well, how are we gonna, how are we gonna be cool? You know, we're gonna <laughs> make this woman, we're gonna put her in real sex situations and uh, see how she reacts. Uh, <laughs> which, which originally was just supposed to be them um, doing, you know, it was just gonna be like a simulation. It sounded like like AI, but right. you know, eighty sciencey things, you can do whatever you want. So. <sighs> They have that going on. And then and then as that's happening, it's there is a song called Prepare to Energize that's playing underneath that. And is like the most 80s song that you can imagine at that point. It's like like a do-do-do. You know, it's got kind of this Frankenstein, but it's electronic uh, type music going underneath that. And I thought that really and set it, the theme really well. 
And and this would be um, the sequence when they're on the computer and they're inputting all the different like features and, and things that they want her to have, correct? Like as they're literally like doing the Frankenstein's monster kind of a sequence. Yes. And it, it is so good. <laughs> I, I will say I know that that phrase is going to get way overused by me. I, I already know it, but I just like you said, it's it's a great little like. 80 snapshot for this particular situation. And of course, you know, that's when they, they get the bras on the head and all that wonderful stuff, which, you know, they get called out on later in the film uh, by, but it's kind of an interesting thing. And when we get to that kind of party scene, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, I think that just really set like a really, <laughs> the music was perfect for that. It was, it was eighties, but it, it was, it set that kind of tone and it really just starts the, the film off really, really well at that point. Right. And even going back to that opening sequence, again, I, I know we talked about with Saturday Night Fever, the opening sequence and how well it presented a character and gave you this idea in a nutshell of, of everything you needed to know. And I feel like the opening sequence of Weird Science is a lot like that. It's these two friends who are clearly not popular um, with their peers, definitely not popular with the girls. They're staring, ogling <laughs> these these girls. Of course, they're in gym. And then all of a sudden, these, you know, these two other guys who we assume are, you know, fairly popular come and pants them in front of everyone. And by the looks on their faces, it doesn't seem like I mean, you can tell that they're really embarrassed and they're shocked at the situation, but you get the impression that this is not the first time, (laughs) nor will it be the last, that that they've (laughs) been in these situations. So it's so great that we get this funny, ridiculous scene with them, you know, like you said, just getting way ahead of themselves um, with their with their little fantasy. And and in that couple of minutes, we're like, okay, we we understand these two guys and their motivation and kind of what what their life is like up to the point that they decide to to create a <laughs> a, a little um, a sexual experimentation <laughs> AI. Oh, I love saying it. I love that this is actually the plot of this movie, and it's so good. And, Again, see, so good. Oh, and, and I think that's a good word to use for it. it the funny thing is too is that. You know, you think of that now, you think of Kelly LeBrock, who does then, you know, then appears out of the closet. And, <laughs> and you think of Kelly LeBrock, and you think about how perfectly she played this role. But she wasn't the original Lisa. The original Lisa was, do you, do you know who it is? You probably looked it up. No, I actually don't know this. I'm very excited. So her name's Kelly Emberg, and she was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model and cosmopolitan model, things like that. And they did actually film scenes with her. Then then she left the film because, and I can't make this up, because of creative oh, differences. Now <laughs> on weird science. <laughs> yeah. So this awesome. isn't this isn't a John Hughes interpretation of Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet. This is a teen kind of sexy comedy that really is really not making a commentary on anything. So I don't know what it is. It's the, I think the, the differences or the creativity part is go over there, read these lines, look sexy and make out with a 15 year old. That's your <laughs> and shower with a couple of them too, which by the way, you know, we're, Oh, uh, we're going to be talking about all of this. Okay, good. <laughs> it is noted. <laughs> it's, when I was rewatching that, I was 
of course, I'm, you know, I'm framing it in, in you know, I'm presentism. So I'm looking at it from, uh, yeah. I, I, I feel what the nature of this podcast, we're going to be running into this often of, of what we touched on in Saturday Night Fever about you can't judge a film based on modern ideas or ethics. You have to just go on the ride and understand where things were at the time. And I think this movie has a lot of those moments. Right. Um, I think it ultimately holds up really, really well, considering I don't think it's a movie that could be made today. But yeah, there, there's a lot of kind of fun things to dive into in, in terms of the content of the movie. Um, but I'm I'm really glad that Kelly LeBrock ended up coming in as Lisa, because I think not only is she gorgeous, which yes, but I feel like she brought such good heart to it. And I think maybe that's why the movie holds up because even though, you know, she, she is, is this character that's kind of fulfilling (laughs) for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Like these two teenage boys, like she is just the fulfillment of this chaotic kind of like wet fever dream that this whole movie is. And yet she really, drives home this idea that she's kind of mentoring them and showing them how to believe in themselves and showing them how to also, you know, care about themselves and demand respect from other people and demand like to like manifest all the things that they want in life. And now she is able to like, you know, in a magical way, make whatever she wants happen. But I think it's also symbolic of her trying to show them that you can create for yourself whatever it is you're wanting, whether it's a girl that you like, or whether it's, you know, like getting to know people and getting more friends or becoming popular or the, or the things that matter to teenagers. Right. Um, I, I think Kelly was really fun to watch. Like she does not, Lisa does not feel like this ridiculous one note walking Barbie doll. I feel like she's so much more in this movie. And it, it, that's a, that's a perfect point. I think, and it, it, ties into something I was going to discuss in that. And, and it, I think it's a huge problem right now with films that get made is there's so many different groups that are vocal on things and, and it, and films we have to remember are in a lot of times an escape. They're a fantasy. And that doesn't mean that they have to be perfectly correct or accurate or anything like that, because fantasies in humans aren't perfect and they're not correct and they're not, not accurate all the time. So because, you know, we look at it, it's like, oh, it's cringe. There's a uh, older woman in a shower. I mean, of course they're wearing, you know, shorts, but, and, and, and making out and all that, but it's a fantasy film. It's not supposed to be reality. Obviously in 1985, we knew that that was not acceptable. I can tell you that right now. We knew that we didn't really care because it's, because it's not a documentary. It's a, it's a, film it's a comedy it's supposed to be lighthearted. it's supposed to be a, a fantasy for 15 16 year old boys in this case and and i think they really i mean they, they got right up to the line and they they didn't cross it i mean john hughes knew exactly where he was going with that and where he he made it not about just the sex pot as they say in the film <laughs> is the, is the, <laughs> such a great yeah that's a great word they, they make it about kind of that internal strength that she is there to bring out. So it wasn't really about her as much as it was about what was in them. And she was just the vehicle or the vessel to be able to bring that out. 
And she does that. She proves that over and over and over again in the film. Well, and, and again, to ping pong back on what you just said, I think that's something I really love about quote unquote retro movies. And in the case of this one, I know we haven't touched on the the segment that we'll do on our first experiences or, you know, with the film or the soundtrack, but to kind of tease it a little, I can remember in my younger years watching this and kind of as a female, it was still super fun because it's unapologetically catering to this fantasy that teenage boys would have. And it, even though as a female viewer, I, it would have these moments of being eye rolly. It's like I, I would be eye rolling, but I'd be cracking up at the same time. And I think it's really good that the movie went there because yes, like you said, it is a fantasy. This is, they manifest this again, wet fever dream creation. And they, of course, like, they end up watching her in the shower, which is something that they talked about at the beginning of the movie when they're looking at the, you know, at their, their two crushes in gym class. And she, you know, kisses Wyatt and teaches him how to loosen up and be a little bit more confident in, in that area. And I, I like that. I like to feel with this movie, like I, you know, I, I did not, not ever have the experience of being a teenage boy. And, I feel like I, I get to go on the fun ride of understanding what that would be like a little bit. And I don't feel like they, they crossed the line. Um, I've, I've definitely seen other films that this would look like a Disney movie in comparison. 16 um, Candles. <laughs> oh, there's some moments. I'm sure we'll do 16 Candles at some point, but that's a rewatch where you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, with this one, I just, I feel like all the moments that come off as, like you said, a little cringy or a little questionable, ultimately have a payoff and a payoff that actually feels a little bit deeper than just teenage boys, you know, getting to go on this like sexy wild ride with this woman. I feel like everything ends up kind of having a purpose and a point that helps them grow. And again, there are eye rolly moments, the bras on the head. That's so classic. I laughed when I was a teenager watching this movie and I laugh now. It's so ridiculous. And it's so like, it reminds me of what being a teenager is like, like the stupid crap that you worry about that is your whole world. And yeah. also like the nonsensical things that you do. It, I think it's so endearing in the way that this movie has those moments because that is being a teenager. And again, having not had the experience of being a teenage boy, I feel like this does touch on a lot of things that that, you know, you're going through as you grow up. And it really did, because this was not a film that I saw when it first came out. I was a little too young at that point. But when I was older and it was coming through on like HBO or just even on network television, although they did a lot of censoring for that. Sure. I watched it a lot. And anytime it was on, I would watch it because it was something I was experiencing that like, look, I'm an awkward teenage boy as well. And I get it. Like I, I get it. And then Deb and Hilly, I'm like, Oh, if I could get in my school, what was it? Kirsten and Jody. Those would have been the ones. And those are some eighties, eighties names. Excellent. But but in my school, 
and I'm like, how do I get them to notice me? How do I get all this? Well, this is, this is, we all have, even the most confident teenage boys have that sort of self-doubt. And, and this really plays on that. And it even plays on it with, with Robert Downey Jr. And, and the other guy, he's the other guy now. (laughs) We have Wyatt and the other guy. His name is Russo. I think his last name is Russo. That Uh, sounds right. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you just sort of, just sort of go with. And it was just great to watch because it was sort of cathartic to me. It's like, oh, well, he really gets it. And that was one thing John Hughes always did really well is he seemed to understand his audience. And I think he listened to the, the teens that were playing these roles and the, and the, and what was going on with them. And that was reflected in the film of all the films of, of that. And, and I think that's what made them so great and, and lasting is, is that. You know, it's not a bad idea. What? Making a girl. Actually making a girl. This is Wyatt and Gary. I give her one digits mammary glands. Something's about to change their world. Something out of this world. She's alive! Alive! What would you little maniacs like to do first? It's all in the name of science. Weird science. If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle. Not us. Not here. No way. She is turning their lives. Trust me for once, will you? What is going on? Gary, I don't know. I don't know. Their minds. (laughs) And their house. Upside down. It's seriously affecting your sex life. (laughs) It's completely unnatural. Do you realize it's snowing in my room? Totally unbelievable. What's going on? And definitely weird. Hi, dudes. They went from zeros to heroes in one fantastic weekend. I'm so good. Universal Pictures presents a John Hughes film, Weird Science. It's purely sexual. Okay. Well, welcome back. That was the trailer. Again, I love a good retro trailer as well. There's there's such an art form to, to the way old trailers were made. Something I really enjoy about it. Um, compared to, you know, the ones now that... You know, I honestly think I stay away from trailers because they give away most of the movie. That's that's. But anyway, true. I digress. <laughs> and you and you get that in a world type in of a, guy in a world. Yeah, totally ravaged by bullies. <laughs> Two teens will. Oh my goodness! So back into this. So something that we had, you know, said before we started was that. You, I felt like you had had some really strong feelings about music placement throughout the plot of the movie. And I was really interested to start diving into that with you of, of the music moments that you think really, really like boosted the film watching experience for you. So we will have a link um, to the uh, soundtrack on the site, the uh, RSS sites, so wherever you link, listen to this. Or on the mixtapecolorado.com uh, website, you can get the, all the links to the show on there. We will have the links to the uh, songs and to the soundtrack that we talk about. So I'll make sure that those get up there. And I just do, I do want to kind of go through like the soundtrack as it was released uh, by MCA Records and, and talk about this real quick. So if you go to IMDb, 
they list out about 9 million songs on here. They do. It's, I'm looking at it right now. It's a, it's a hefty list. It's a page and a half printed out. So if, if you go on there, the soundtrack itself was only 11 songs. Um, so it was Weird Science by Oingo Boingo, Private, okay. Private Joy by Shane, uh, which that song was actually written by Prince. He did record a version of it as well. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> the Circle by Max Carl, which was actually in Risky Business also, so it was on a different soundtrack as well. Uh, you don't really hear it much in this. It's kind of in the background buried uh, in there. Turn It On by Kim Wilde. And a lot of these songs, uh, as we were talking about how they're buried in there, it's not the vocal parts that you hear. It's the instrumental, ver- uh, not the instrumental versions, but the instrumental parts of the songs. Uh, one of those examples is... Uh, Girls of, where is it? Tesla Girls by uh, OMD, who everybody remembers from If You Leave, which is on the uh, Pretty in Pink soundtrack. So that was a huge song for them. But Tesla Girls was the song that they were listening. It was in the background. And I actually had to go back and listen to this. It was in the background when they were at the mall and get the icy dumped on, dumped on them. Mm, okay. But that's not on the soundtrack. <laughs> so that's one of the things. Uh, Deep in the Jungle by Wall of Voodoo, who people know from uh, Mexican Radio. Uh, Do Not Disturb by The Broken Homes, Forever by Taxi, Why Don't Pretty Girls Look at Me by The Wild Wild Men of Wonga, Method to My Madness by The Lords of the Church, 80s, which is a kind of interesting song of Killing Joke, and Weird Romance by Ira and the Geeks. Well, that leaves out quite a lot. And one of the ones that, I mean, after we get... I mean, just just being in the bar scene, which happens right after the shower scene, and they go and they go in there, and they're completely out of their element in this (laughs) blues blues bar. We're talking about this scene, yeah. (laughs) And they start talking talking about it's like, uh, you know, you all get along with your parents real well. That's one of my (laughs) my my favorite favorite (laughs) lines in the entire movie. But uh, it's like, what are you doing with the Malacca like? (laughs) <laughs> like this guy. Uh, she, what can I say? I, she's into malacas. <laughs> she's into malacas. <laughs> I, I not to not to interrupt. I just I have to say that something. This movie, Anthony Michael Hall's improvisation and his com, like his comedic sensibility in this movie is incredible. He has me laughing out loud so many times and. This bar sequence is definitely one of my favorite moments in the whole movie. He is absolutely hysterical. I can't even believe it. And I had watched an interview with him where he, you know, he said that John Hughes was always really gracious as a writer because, you know, he definitely had a structure and knew where he needed each scene to go. But he left actors a lot of room to be creative and to play and that a lot of that particular sequence was just all the actors sitting around a table, just kind of riffing off of each other. And, Oh, it's gold. It's, Oh, it's absolute gold. It's the best. And and the music in this scene, I think really shows two different, I mean, they're at a blues bar, but if you listen in the background of that film there or at that scene, it's, it's eighties music that's playing when they first get there and they're still in their innocent, you know, we're not drunk yet. You know, ah, oh, no, I'm really drink it. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. But if you notice when they, when they cut from that and now he's, you know, Gary's in his sort of 
channeling his inner blues man there. The the music now is bluesy, like you can hear it in the background. So it goes from being that. So it really transitions from them being this 80s kind of teen, you know, poppiness to a little grittier. They're, they're drunk now. They're, they're experiencing things differently than they were when they first got there. And so it's a, it's a real good contrast. And I believe that's Los Lobos uh, that the song is playing in the background on that on that one. Um, okay. Well, yeah, because when that transition happens, you know, when it cuts back and, you know, clearly Gary's had a few drinks, he's, you know, he's got like the cigar in his mouth and the hat on. He's just kind of like snapping along, like shaking his head <laughs> to to the blues. And it kind of was reminiscent of me to that scene in Adventures in Babysitting where they're, you know, they're being chased and they end up in this, in this blues bar and they have to sing to get out. And I'm like, yes, these are just kids plucked from the suburbs, put into a completely different environment. And yeah, I have to agree. I really love that. The music um, you know, it's so classic, it comes on with like the harmonica and like Gary is just getting into this story about this girl in eighth grade that he had this big crush on. Yeah, I really I have to agree. It lent itself very well. Well, and, and it's, yeah, I'm, that's another John Hughes film, right? Adventures Maybe City. So it is that really I, I believe so. I mean, you can check it, um, but it's I, you know, I'm going to check that right now. It's set in Chicago, which is where most of his films were set, um, which was his thing. And, and I like that one. It's like, nobody leaves here without singing the blues. Uh, <laughs> right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a great film. Um, but I think that one, if it's not, it was inspired by him for sure. But I, I, I yeah, this, it was actually Chris Columbus and oh, that the makes writer sense. was David Simpkins. Um, but again, it, for being like an eighties teen romp comedy, there's, yeah, they're definitely taking cues from one another big time. And that's, and that's, that is probably one of my favorite scenes in both those movies is the movies in the, in the blues bar. I, I think it's, it really sets that up and it kind of starts to see the, you see the confidence in Gary and Wyatt change a little bit at that point. Of course it goes into the next scene, uh, which is kind of kills their confidence a little bit, but um, that's where we get the first song that uh, really stands out to me as not being on the soundtrack, which is Pretty Woman, which in this case was done by Van Halen. Um, when they're going down the escalator, she's going up the escalator, and she makes the faces at him and you know kissy faces. So then Iron Man and, and Robin, I don't know what his name is, but we'll, we'll go in <laughs> from that, but they go chasing after her. They just leave poor Deb and Hilly uh, by themselves as they Worst just boyfriends ever. Oh, yes. they they really are like, uh, it was, it was really bad. What, you know, Deb and Hilly said they won't go to the, all the cool parties. They won't, uh, become social outcasts, uh, if they're not with them and, you know, understandable, uh, but yeah, right. it's the importance to empathize, but <laughs> that part, um, really stood out to me because I'm like, that's a huge part. That's, that's one of the places where you can actually hear the, the song, and that song's not on the on the soundtrack, but it does really lend itself to that that point. And and having Van Halen do it was a modern take on on the Roy Orbison song. Well, and I'm really glad that they did go with the Van Halen cover of it, just because again, you you have such an iconic song, but I think the updated version fit much better into this movie than the original would have. But I also 
think that the song itself lyrically and musically was the right choice. And I, I love that part because you know that Lisa is kind of this, whatever she is, she's, she's kind of this all knowing <laughs> being. And I love the setup of, of this and how she, you know, intentionally kind of gets them to chase her through the entire mall, ditch their girlfriends. Like they're such douchebags <laughs> and just to leave them outside so that they can watch Gary and Wyatt pick her up in their sports car and they're dumbfounded. It's this is yeah more reasons that we love Lisa. She's excellent. And that was one of my favorite sports cars from that from that era too, the Porsche. Uh, so I, I I loved those, and that just reminded me why I loved it. Now I look at him and I see him. If I do see him, I don't see many, many on the streets. But if I do see him, I look at that. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's. I mean, obviously now it's forty years later almost, but it's uh, it's not as sexy as it was back then when they were new and it was kind of this sleek type of thing. But yeah, so that was, that was one of the ones that sort of stood out to me uh, as we, as we go through the mall scene. I mean, the mall scene starts out with them getting dumped with the icy and, and you've got OMD playing in the background on sort of like a, a loop, but you know, they're, they're feeling like things are really going to turn for us. I feel like this is really the turn. And then they get dumped with, <laughs> You know, the, the icy on them. So that, yeah, maybe not, maybe not today, guys. But the, uh, the fact that, that that mall scene, you know, just sort of shows the ebb and flow in their development as characters, uh, and, and how they move forward into really it actually sets up the scene at the party where Iron Man and Robin are, you know, want their own girl. Because Lisa's like, and then you get the missile and everything. But we're, we're right. Gonna... Well, and and I, there's so much to unpack, and it's so good. Um, I I'm thinking of musically just about the party scene when it's in full swing and everyone's there, and we've got you know '80s by Killing Joke playing, which is perfect placement in my opinion. And then also later through that sequence, we do get why don't pretty girls look at me um, from wild men of Wonga. And both of those songs were definitely standouts to me on the soundtrack, especially why don't pretty girls look at me. I thought that song was awesome. And I actually kind of wish that more of it was in the movie because it's just like you said, it's very much, you know, in, in the background, which fits really well for the scenario in which it's played, but it's just such a good song that I wish we got more of it in the movie and also eighties, like you have eighties teens just destroying this house in one of these like rager wild high school parties, you know, it's so quintessential. And yeah, I, I wish we got more time with the songs, but I'm, it's really fun while they're there. Well, in eighties too, by killing joke was a, it's a, it's a song about the chaos of the eighties, um, which, you know, we know, a lot of now, um, if you think that, that things are cyclical, um, but the eighties were definitely in the, you know, the cold war and, you know, there was a whole lot of norms that were being, being transitioned at that point, not as violently as in the sixties and seventies, but they were still being, being pushed by this younger generation, really the kids of the kids from the sixties, the um, yeah. were taking that and exploring it in a much less forceful manner than their, than their parents may have. But they were still pushing 
a lot of those things. It was androgyny really came out in that time frame, and you you see some of that in this in this film where they address a little bit of that. But it, it's it really is kind of perfect because of all the chaos that's going on at the at the house during the party is kind of symbolized by that song <laughs> by by Killing Joke. So I think it was I think it was perfect placement. I agree um, completely on that. And you know, not to not to be too like I don't think retroactive is the, is the right word I'm looking for. Not to go too backwards uh, too much, but one thing is I was just listening through the soundtrack um, from start to finish the best I could because, as Rich mentioned, there's so many versions of what this soundtrack is. So I did my best to try to hear it in in roughly what would have been the originally released version, but who knows? Um, but something I really enjoyed about it was that you know, you have like these quintessential kind of like pop mainstream fun songs like Weird Science by Oingo Boingo. But then as you move through the soundtrack, you actually get a lot of really varied and fun sounds. Um, you talked about, you know, the transition in the blues bar where you're getting very classic, like hard on the harmonica, slow paced, like blues music. And an- like, I felt that another big presence on the soundtrack was kind of this harder, like a harder, I don't know if it would be categorized as pop rock or not. I'm thinking like forever by taxi, like something that has like a little bit more of an edge to it. And it made me smile as I was listening because it, it calls back to those moments in the movie where, you know, Gary and Wyatt so badly, like kind of want to be badass and they want to be cool. And you do get the, the, the payoff of that in later in this party sequence, when you have the, the random like biker gang that, that comes into the house. But even um, the scene before this, where Lisa goes to pick up Gary from his parents' house to go to the party. And she's in this total like rocker, like huge hair, like mid drift, like white tank, but black leather studs, short skirt, um, and it, there's this whole other aesthetic to the soundtrack and to the movie that, you know, that these two boys are trying to, trying to channel, like it's something that they want to be so badly. And I feel like just listening to the songs, you got that impression that this was also kind of one of the tones yeah. that it was going for. And it was, it was awesome. And it's so, interesting. So awesome. In that scene with the parents, because it's very loungy and She's not in that loungy sort of, I mean, she's obviously not. And she did promise no wax on the nipples. Um, so that was <laughs> no candle wax on the nipples. Yeah, yes. that, that was that was good. <laughs> that was good of her. I mean, wiping the dad's memory, maybe a little extreme. But who's this Gary you keep talking about? Our son. <laughs> um, but but a great but a great scene. And she, you know, what do you do? I, I mean, I could I could quote stuff from it all day, and, and that's that's a different oh. podcast. But it, it was just so fantastic um, in that. And then, and we get back to the you know we go to the party scene. Of course, they're locked in the the bathroom all the time, and that's really where they where they get to interact with Deb and Hilly uh, the the most, I guess, at that point um, when they go in there. And I love that they they just go straight into the shower, and then when they come out, you know, of course, you know, hey, we're gonna make our move. They come out. There's like two different girls there, but. It's just a, it's like they can't, they can't win to lose. And it was a, it's just, it's so interesting. And then, you know, with Chet too, you know, and Chet's got, he's got the military soundtrack that's associated with him. 
you know, thing going on. And, and, and that's just perfect for him. And it's, I, I can imagine that John Hughes sat around and he thought each one of these things, we have to tie this to it because, because if you, if you watch the film, there's not a lot of dead air in the background. There's a song playing almost all the time. And it's, it's very consistent, but it's very purposeful. It feels purposeful. It helps drive the movie forward. Uh, so I think that was, you know, part of what I, my favorite parts about it is as I was listening to it on a, on an airplane, as I was watching, watching it actually, I'm, I'm sitting there going, trying to pick out the songs in the background. They're kind of hard until you go back and listen to, well, I mean, you go to the IMDb ones, you listen to all those, you'll figure them out eventually, but that's like 20 something songs. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those that is just kind of, you you take it, you don't notice it. I didn't never noticed it really so much. There's only a few songs that I noticed the first couple thousand times that I watched it back in the, the 80s and 90s. But then when I actually took a different ear to it, I noticed it a lot more. Kind of the just the intentionality of of the way that that he laid those out and how they set the mood of the of the film. Well, and I have to say, it it is so difficult to it, like to hear you describing these different scenes and, and to not just be cracking up on, you know, on the microphone. Like I'm, I'm almost holding my breath, trying not to just burst out laughing as you touch on all of these different moments. Um, definitely. I, th- I think also one of the best comedic moments from Anthony Michael Hall is that entire scene where he's, you know, trying to leave with Lisa to go to this party and he has these ridiculously like conservative parents. <laughs> and, um, and Lisa's just, is just going full bore, um, not, not pulling any punches with, with where they're going, what they're doing. And it's, it's an incredible exchange, just pure laugh out loud comedy. But yeah, I think, and coming back to these, like kind of the heart of the movie. So you're talking about, this part where, you know, Lisa basically hands them this opportunity on a silver platter. Like you have everyone at the school at their house having this wild party. They're having a great time. She's making it known that she's directly associated with them, which only makes them look cooler. And they're in, in the shower together because they're too afraid to, to go out there and, and to be bold and be part of this. But I, I like that also in that moment, they, you do kind of get some character growth with the two girls because they come into the bathroom and they're just talking about, you know, like how crappy their boyfriends are. And, you know, you get to see that, you know, apart from being like just these like pretty girls that they look at from, you know, across the hallway or whatever at school, that they're real people and they're not nearly <laughs> as douchey as their boyfriends. And so I like that we get a moment of getting to meet them and you kind of start rooting for these two relationships because you're like, Oh, they're kind of sweet. I like them. Um, I think they do deserve guys like Gary and Wyatt. Um, but then of course, you know, Lisa as a character, just upping the ante being like, okay. So if, you know, like they, their parent, like his parents' house starts getting destroyed. And then we get this other great, like little side bit with the grandparents. <laughs> and <laughs> he, he that, won't, it, stand for baloney he won't stand for baloney and i had an i made a mental note as i watched that sequence being like why are his grandparents like borderline like kind of british 
Like they're just these stuffy, ridiculous elderly people that almost kind of have a foreign accent. Like they're such a caricature of this type of person. And of course they're in like this little, you know, nice restaurant. And there's just like orchestral music playing in the background. Like it's strings primarily. And then they just show up at this like, like balls to the wall, crazy kind of a party. And, and I'm really glad you mentioned Chet as well, because that's another thing. Like it cannot be overstated how great Bill Paxton is in this movie as Chet. Absolutely hysterical, absurd, ridiculous character. You love to hate him. <laughs> I, I just, and having been introduced to Bill Paxton later in his career, like the first movie I think I ever saw him in was Twister. And, um, so when it came time, when I finally saw Weird Science for the first time, I was like, I didn't realize he was so funny. And he he's such a gem in this. He really is. And, and, and the haircut. Yes. Oh, God. That was perfect. Oh, and he he got that haircut himself uh, for the film. <laughs> did he really? Yeah, he didn't tell John Hughes that he was going to do that. He thought it just fit the character better. So he just showed up one day onto the set and he had that haircut. Oh, uh. uh. Another and, another gold star for Paxton. That's yeah, that's great. And the man who plays Henry, which is Wyatt and Chet's grandparents, grandfather, Ivor Berry. He's a well-known, well, not well-known to me, but in, in Wales, he's well-known. He was a, well, a well-known uh, Welch actor. So no kidding. That's probably, I mean, that's where the accent comes from. Although they do really do try to put up a uh, kind of a transatlantic, try to accent on that which you know of course is a, a learned accent it wasn't a native accent but they okay. tried to sort of meld those two things together to give them sort of an aristocratic type of uh, uh aura to them and it was very interesting you know i love the uh, thing is what teenage boy doesn't you know wouldn't love a visit from their grandparents you know and and, <laughs> and of course you know that's setting it up that's some foreshadowing of, of when they arrive at the party so it, it was it was perfect. I mean, the acting and the casting on this thing was just per- like every single part was perfect. Even even the biker leader, because he was at Mad Max, and he's actually right. basically the same character as he was in in Mad Max. So it, it, I mean, he just plays that same character, which makes you know sense. But it's I mean, it's just perfect casting all the way around. Even Devin Hilly, who I will give grief to because of those names, but. <laughs> they did play those characters perfectly. Oh yeah. And I will now, you know, getting more so into this, into this biker scene. Um, again, the tonal changes in the music as well as in the movie, just Lisa unapologetically just ups the ante. And I think the addition of this mad Maxian, um, you know, kind of thing is it works so perfectly. This movie is so check your brain at the door. It it's wild. It's bizarre. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And yet at the same time, you're totally on board with everything that happens. And I love, you know, we're going full bore now with this kind of hard rock intense kind of a vibe, both musically and thematically. And we finally get to the point where, where the guys, they step up and, and, sort of become men in a way like they finally they finally have been pushed too far and and they're ready to take care of business and it's it's i it's so funny because it is so absurd and bizarre and yet 
so satisfying the same way it would be as if you watch two teenagers stand up in a more realistic way. Yeah. And and that leads into the the kind of the final scene of the of the, the film. After they stand up to them, we get, you know, standing up. Now it's you gotta stand up to them. You gotta externally stand up and you have to stand up internally to Chet, uh, which Lisa then helps with by turning him into a blob, which I which I, I love. But uh <laughs> But as we as we get towards the the end here, I, I, I do want to make sure that we address another one of these songs that's not in the official soundtrack, but it plays a real prominent part in the end of the film, and that's "Tenderness" by General Public, which is mm. one of my all time favorite songs of the '80s. And actually, after I watched, it, I had to go back and and watch the video for "Tenderness" uh, by General Public because it's just I just love it, and it's so. It's so perfect as they as they drop out, you know, after Wyatt goes through the sprinklers and then we get we get the uh, uh, Gary with the or sorry, the other way around. No, I was right. Gary uh, getting with the Ferrari and then that's when it kind of kicks on. But it's but it's very prominent. It's not one of those that's buried in the back that was it was set out there for a reason. And uh, that just. And the song "General uh, Tenderness" by General Public is a, is a song about you know not knowing how to act and being kind of apprehensive and scared and nervous around somebody that you uh, really like. And so it, I think it was it still encapsulates what they were what they were dealing with at that point. Yes, we we did we beat the Mad Max guy. We we stood up, um, you know, to, to that, and then. But now it's like you're going to have to go back and you're still going to have to figure out how to do this. And that's part of being a teen is figuring out how how you do this. And uh, so, you know, once they get back and they find the blob and and <laughs> and then <laughs> and then, you know, they agree that he's not going to not going to mess with them anymore. But uh, and it's just a, just a perfect way, I thought, to kind of wrap that up. Yeah. And to me, this is where. And I'm really glad you, you mentioned the music because again, the, the tone that every song selection sets and the placement of it really takes you on that emotional journey of the movie. And you feel like you're with these two characters the whole way. You really get where, where, what they're going through and how they're feeling. And this ending sequence with them taking the girls home is such a great emotional payoff, you know, I was talking earlier about how there's kind of these risque kind of borderline questionable moments that happen with them and Lisa in the, in the very beginning of, of her, you know, of her creation. And I feel like this is all the moments where it really pays off. Like you see how they use these experiences that they had with Lisa in order to apply them in actually a really kind of endearing real life way. And they're able to start liking themselves and being confident and, you know, going after the girls that they like. But they also learn some humility, right? Because, you know, there's so many moments in this movie that are, you could just spend an entire hour talking about. I know we won't get to them all. Um, but quickly, you know, touching on, you know, when they're at the party and Robert Downey Jr. and Robin, um, are, you know, basically asking Gary and Wyatt if they can borrow Lisa. And then they say, that's not, 
that's not really how, you know, how this works. And so they're like, well, you know, if we can create our own, like we'll trade you, (laughs) we'll trade you our girlfriends. If, you know, like if you can hook us up with our own, you know, little, you know, little play thing. And, you know, they, this whole sequence, they inadvertently end up, you know, having a rocket ship or is it, it's a missile. It's a missile. Is it a rocket ship or is it, it's a missile? Okay. Yeah. Nuclear so missile. This nuclear missile that, you know, just comes out of the floor again, just a fever dream of a film. And when Lisa sees it, you know, she has this reprimand of them and she's like, you know what? You got cocky and you, you wanted to be big shots. And, you know, in, in your, in this quest to just, you know, like, to seem like the, the men and, and do, you know, and replicate what you did, you forgot one of the most fundamentally important things. And so it was cool to also have that moment with Lisa where she does reprimand them and is like you, just because I'm helping you build your confidence and I'm giving you the keys to unlock, you know, all the things that you're wanting, you, you still need to be good guys. And that's something that she seems to really love about them. And so by the end, when they're, you know, taking these girls home and they're getting these relationships and starting this new chapter, you feel like they've grown and they've gotten more confident, but they're still these sweet guys that you're rooting for. Like they're, they're just so endearing. I I don't know. I, I think it like, you know, um, like Wyatt's, you know, taking his girl home and then she kisses him and he goes for like the little butt squeeze, <laughs> like, right. like Lisa gave to him. And even with a, you know, with a modern mindset, with his fingers crossed, um, with his fingers crossed of like, I hope this works. <laughs> and there's just something that is, is just kind of funny about, about that moment. And, I never, I'm never like with the creation of Lisa, with everything that they do throughout the movie, I, I never find myself rooting against these two. I find myself, you know, just being endeared by their, their wacky, silly teenage boyness and also that they've learned some good lessons by the end of it. And they, and they deserve, you know, they deserve the ending that they got. So this brings up the ultimate question that we like to always, well, always. Two shows now that we'd like to in the whole catalog and and end the show with, which is the question of did the movie make the soundtrack or did the soundtrack make the movie in this case? And I have a I I have an opinion on it, but I'll let you go first. on Oh, okay. This one is really tough. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say that the movie made the soundtrack because. While I deeply enjoyed the soundtrack and will definitely be going back to listen through it and be adding for sure a handful of the songs to a regular playlist, I feel that because of the way that a lot of my favorites were more of just kind of like background filler to capture an essence and really the focus is on the movie and these characters and the comedy and the bizarre situations, I feel like I could it wouldn't be nearly as good, but I could watch the movie without the soundtrack, but I don't think I'd appreciate the soundtrack as much without, without the film. Yes. So I I, I completely agree with that. It's, it's one of those situations where I think when you listen to the songs by themselves, without the context of the movie, you're just like, okay, maybe weird science. I could see that as, you know, maybe that would be one that I listened to, but otherwise you just kind of are like, okay, yeah, I mean, that's fine. It's an 80s song. It's a generic 80s song, some of them. 
Uh, not all of them, but some of them. So I, I agree with you with that. Well, this has been fun. I'm, I'm, oh, I, I've always enjoyed a pleasure. this one. And to, yes. uh, to our fan out there, remember, if you have any ideas <laughs> or you have anything, you can always email us at loboradio at ymail.com or hit us up through the mixtapecolorado.com website um, where you're going to find all the links to all the shows, all the show. And well, now two. <laughs> so now we're plural. There are shows. We are plural, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and just to echo that, um, please, you know, give us feedback. Let us know if there's anything that, you know, you would, you would have liked to hear us have, have had talk. What did I just say? Let me start that over again. Please let us know if there's anything you would have loved to hear us talk about that we didn't, any cool factoids or, you know, interesting things from the soundtrack or the movie that, you know, we didn't get a chance to touch on. And as well as, you know, what, what do you want us to talk about next? What are great films with great soundtracks that you think are worth, are worth pulling apart for an hour? Because I'm, I know that I'm always looking, you know, for great suggestions to dive into. As am I. Well, it's been a pleasure. Hope you uh, s- stayed safe out there, and uh, hopefully we'll be back in person for the next one uh, if nobody else gets COVID in our immediate circle. Uh, oh, but, please. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, been, it's been great, and I look forward to our next one. Uh, so anybody, anybody out there, please, we want to hear from you. And until next time, this is Rick Knight saying goodbye. And this is Felicia Sky signing off.